Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you are tuning in for the very first time, then I actually need you to pause. Stop right here because this is the second part of a two-part story. And so you'll need to go back just just one episode, go back to the previous episode and listen to part one of Jen's story before listening to this. This is part two of Jen's story. But for all the rest of you who have been following along and you have already heard the first part of Jen's story, welcome back. We're so glad to get the second part and not leave her in really a pretty dark and shocking place. So for those of you who have listened to part one, um, we know maybe it's been a little while since you've heard it. So let's give a little recap. And so I'm going to welcome Jen back. Thank you so much for doing another episode with us. And quick refresher, uh, previously in, in the life of Jen, can you give us a little cliff notes of the first 30-ish years of your life so we can kind of <laughs> refresh our listeners and then pick up the story? 30-ish years. Yeah, I feel like I'm just like laying out this whole trauma timeline. We all have a trauma timeline of some sort. But it really is, it is all coming to a head. We're going to bring it all together, hopefully in a way that is relatable and honors God. So essentially, yes, we talked about my childhood years where I experienced some gaslighting with with my mom, like the things that I was experiencing. She said, oh, that's not true. That's not what you're really experiencing. So I grew up with a lot of this narrative that don't don't trust your own gut. At least that's what it kind of came to as. Um, if you want to just kind of put it in a little nutshell there. That included things like my mom telling me that my first husband was going to propose to me and then that I needed to say yes. Again, reiterating that I didn't know necessarily what was best for me, but I could trust her. And since I did, couldn't trust myself so much, again, never really said to me, but definitely communicated. There was this theme throughout these years that I couldn't trust my gut. And I needed others' opinions and approval and thoughts as to what to do, where to go and how to do it. So including that, you know, that didn't just happen with my mom. It actually happened in the church now that I think about it because when my first husband cheated on me with the babysitter, I remember thinking, oh, a good Christian girl would stay. So again, I always trusted the narrative. I didn't really talk to God. A I mean, I certainly talked to God a lot. I take that back but I didn't talk to him about what to do. I always went to other people to determine what to do. So you heard that my first husband cheated on me with our babysitter. Later on, pornography dis was discovered. And then it turned out he had an entire secret life and he was a child molester and was arrested and sentenced to 20 years in prison. So that's kind of where we left off in a nutshell. Which is shocking and, and horrible and tragic and traumatic and all of these things. And as you were doing your recap, there was sort of that theme of don't trust your gut. Don't mm -hmm. don't trust that intuition, yeah. which kind of begs the question. And I know this this might come up for women who have experienced what you lived through. And and certainly for many who haven't, they they can't imagine what that was like. That's never been a part of their story, where they think, well, did your gut tell you something was wrong? And then you've just been trained to ignore it? Or were there no signs? And ladies, I promise we're going to move on through her story. And there's so much more to come. But we just want to take a couple of minutes here and park at this chapter in your life, because this certainly would be what somebody might term a wilderness chapter, 
where your whole world's turned upside down. It seems mm-hmm. like no good could possibly come of this. How did you cope? How did your children cope? Did you look back and see the signs? How is your relationship with God at this point? So let's just take a minute and paint the picture of what your life was like, your mind and your heart and your home life in this moment before explaining what happens next. Oh, there, I just want you to know there are no questions that are off limits. I'm very transparent about my life and what I've been through. And even in this category, like people will say, is it okay to ask? Oh yeah. Ask, please ask. Let me explain all that I can from my point of view as to what took place or a question I always get is, did you know? And initially I was so, (laughs) so put off by that. What do you mean? Did I know? Of course I didn't know. But for a lot of people, it wasn't necessarily a course. Of course you, you didn't know. And so let me explain, I did not know. And many of us don't. When you live with someone who is a master manipulator, their gift is manipulation. And so there would be reasons for me not knowing. And there are reasons for some women, other women to not know. Now I'm not, I don't want anyone to be scared or, or (laughs) I don't want to provoke women to start, you know, worrying about their own spouses. I believe God brings things to light for a reason. And in the period of time that this happened was a fairly small period of time. Nonetheless, it was devastating to his victims and to their families. But that being said, um, no, I, I didn't know, but I'll take this opportunity to share with you. There is an organization called darkness to light and they're at their web address is D the number two, the letter L.org. And you can go there and, and get training on looking for the signs and the symptoms. I didn't see signs and symptoms. The parents of the girls that this happened to didn't see signs and symptoms. So it's not that it wasn't, it wasn't my fault or their fault for not seeing signs and symptoms, but there are ways that we can talk to our kids about these things and um, become trained and equipped as community leaders, as parents, as friends, and and so on. So that is a great organization to get in touch with. If you're looking for some information on how to look for the signs of that, I'll leave that to the experts. But in my case, no, there wasn't any signs. And essentially what I was at a place where we were in shock. The community was in shock. I had mentioned that we had been top of the news for quite a while. They drug the church through the mud because we were active in our church. And it was just very, very, very public. And my kids at first didn't really understand. I remember, I remember I sat the boys down and I I said, I, dad's, dad's not coming home. And well, what did he do? And, and, and one of them said, oh, did he drink, did he drink and drive? Like that was like the worst thing that he could possibly come up to. And how do you explain to a seven and 10 year old what their dad had done, you know? And, and honestly, it was, it was the years to come that the, the weight of what he had done and the realization as they were growing up and understanding more, that it became a bigger issue. Don't get me wrong. We definitely had a lot of grieving in our home. And I was a single mom grieving the loss and shock of the man I grew up with and loved. And thought he was a great Christian man. And then carrying my kids through that same grief, I have to tell you, I, how does a woman even begin to prepare to walk her children through that? You don't, you don't prepare for that. No woman should have to prepare for that. But um, there I was, and God equips us in the moment 
with the best of our ability to manage. And he fills in the blanks the best that he can. And he has done a great job with my kids. My kids are amazing. They have been down a, a rough road themselves, but God has covered and filled in the gaps. He is faithful to do that. So I am grateful for that. It's very encouraging to hear you say that God is faithful because certainly there are some women who would live through what you lived through and feel like God was not like they would have felt abandoned or angry or that there was this great injustice and the list goes on, right? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, wait, there's more to come (laughs) because I'll I'll tell you right now, God, God was faithful then. He is faithful now. And, And in that, in that time period, honestly, it was such a, it was so cinematic that I did trust God completely. It was too movie-like to not just place my trust in God. At least that was what it was like for me. So, and in any great theatrical movie, there's this major crisis and then God comes in to save it. And I felt God's presence. Like I, like I did as a child, I felt his presence and I knew he was leading. I knew he was guiding and it didn't detract from the pain that I was going through or that my kids were going through or that my friends were going through. But it was that solid piece of, I know it's going to be okay. Like deep in my heart, I knew it was going to be okay. And then that's, and that's why the next part of the story really shifts us into (laughs) where I did the former of what what you just said. So, well, with that, we are going to move into the next chapter of your story. So when this next piece starts, now you're in your early thirties. But at this point, someone's going to pop into your life here. But how long had it been in between these two chapters, I guess would be the way to to phrase it. It was about two years. And I, I will tell you why. I was on the hunt for a husband really fast because I was terrified of raising these boys without a father. And I had all heard all the statistics. Like if you have a parent in prison, you're, you know, 90% more likely to do this and 50 more percent to do this. And so I really was super determined. First of all, again, didn't believe I could do it on my own, right? Couldn't trust my gut. I had to have everyone or somebody else to come in and assist me. So I believed that I really needed to marry quickly. So these boys had a father figure in their life. And I was so blessed because somebody from church who I'd been on worship team with that I had known for a couple of years, but hadn't really ever really talked to caught my eye and I knew his family. I knew his dad. Um, we were in choir together. His mom was a counselor. I mean, checking off all the boxes, but I also knew that he had had a bout of struggling with using drinking as coping. And I was at a point as I was going through all this grieving with Scott, like I just wanted to like I just, well, I don't know what I was drinking. Maybe Mark Mike's hard lemonade or something. I just want to drink a Mike's hard lemonade every night. And I didn't know who to tell that to because everyone had me up on this pedestal of being strong and you're doing such a great job. And I just needed to be real with someone. So one night I went up to him at church and I said, I just want to drink. And I knew that he had struggled with drinking. So I knew that I could be real in that moment. And that realness, the, the, <laughs> It's it's odd because that that real vulnerable moment is actually has been 
both the crux and the gift <laughs> in our marriage. So I got his attention because here I was just this girl who, who looked like she didn't have any real problems other than the obvious one that was at hand. Um, but looked like she was coping well, came up to him and was shared what she had really rather be doing in that evening. And, and what I liked was that I knew, okay, get this. I knew that he struggled with something and I vowed never, ever to be blindsided again. So by knowing what his issue was, I therefore could, could prevent um, being blindsided again. Right. So like, like if I could just be with a man who loves the Lord, but isn't perfect. And I know what his issue is, then I'm good to go. <laughs> it's just so funny the way I look back at it now, like as even internally, just trying to control the outcome, but essentially we hit it off. We had a lot of chemistry, lots of banter, lots of connection. He would tell me I'm smart. I was in school and he'd tell me I was smart and which I was, but remember, I didn't believe that I was smart, but with him, I started to really I started to believe it. And he started to say things to me that God would say to me in the sense of my identity. And I believed him because he is a good man and, and God was using him to heal some of those wounds. And he was fantastic with my kids and his kids. And we, it was just really a beautiful thing. So I had come to the conclusion that he was my reward for having endured such a very big public scandal. And to this day, I somewhat still believe that. <laughs> Well, and just to just clarifying at this point, you're still in this, are you still in the same small town, the same church and everything? So would he have watched all of this live? Yeah. He saw it all on the news. Everyone saw it. So yeah, mm -hmm. he knew. Yeah. Yeah. There's a side story that I won't share right now, but you know, like I said, anyone ever wants to ask me questions, feel free to email me to talk about it outside. But yes, we were, yes, we were part of the same small town and he knew. So essentially a couple of years later, we dated for a couple of years. And I have to say that on my wedding day, I literally felt like that whole other life, life I had left behind. Like when I was walking, I felt like the, the, the life I had just lived was literally getting further and further behind me as I went forward towards him. It literally felt sort of magical. And it was, he is a very caring, kind, giving man. However, five years later, uh, so at this point, I think it's about five years later. It was in 2012, actually, December, 2012. I, yeah, well, first let me back up. <laughs> I, I had created a very big habit of being hypervigilant. So I had some PTSD left over from the first marriage and I would check his phone. I would check because I didn't want to be cheated on, or I was afraid of pornography. So I, I would check his computer I would walk around the house at night to make sure the doors were locked. Like there was this real safety issue that I had inside of me. So I was very, very hypervigilant and very, very determined to never have the wool pull over my eyes again. So I was always alert. So all of that said, and then this alertness, we had just got back from the grocery store. It was dark out. It was December 11th, 2012. So getting out of the car, it's dark, it's cold. And he's pulling the groceries out and I pick up his phone and I, I just glance at it and I see like 10 missed calls or 10 back and forth missed calls. So I, I hit the dial button and a woman's voice answered and neither one of us said anything. And we knew exactly who the other person was. No, she said hello. But, but other than that, there was no exchange of words. 
And he said something from the back of the car. I hung up the phone. We went inside and I tell him what I had done. He denies all of it. He even went as far as to tell me that, you know, I'm just, I'm worried about this kind of thing because of what took place in my first marriage. I just need to trust, but my gut knew, but then I thought, well, maybe I did, maybe I did make it up. Maybe, maybe I didn't hear a woman's voice. And then, so I pressed harder and harder and he starts to share, starts to come clean essentially on what, what he had been doing with his life, the secret life that he had been living. And at this point, my body goes into full convulsions. I'm on the floor, literally convulsing because my body is just experiencing all this trauma. I regain my composure and we go, this sounds so odd when I say it this way, but we go and we sit in front of the Christmas tree. And I always say, instead of wrapping gifts, we, he unwrapped our marriage essentially. And we sat in front of the Christmas tree and he spilled out probably about three years worth of pornography. And of course, masturbation that goes with that and hookups and chat rooms and picture exchanges and uh, emotional relationships, like a dozen connections that he had had with all these people. And I was blown away. Like, and most people are like, oh, Scott must have been like the hardest thing you'd ever gone through. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. This. Because the 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 Scott stuff was just so big and so surreal. And like I said, cinematic. This was different. Because I knew him. I knew his character. And I really felt like I could trust that. But that he was a good man who had done horrible things and not that none of it was illegal or, but just, just the amount of infidelity that he had been doing was just mind blowing. And that is when all that effort of being hypervigilant, that didn't even protect me. And that any shield of self reliance was just completely gone. I didn't feel like I could rely on anything including God. So the first, when the first marriage ended, I was like, yeah, all about God. He's got this. I trust him. I know it in my gut. This was a different experience. This was an experience of the rugs been pulled out underneath you and God doesn't even exist. And if God does exist, he's cruel. And I don't want to be a part of him because I felt like, well, doesn't God even care about my kids? What about my kids? And so there was this whole wrestling with not even being sure if I believed God was real, that I even wanted to be in a relationship with him. I was really, really angry at him, really angry at him, but it gets better. (laughs) So one tough issue in, in part of this though, also is that my mom was overly emotional about the situation and couldn't be there for me. So she sort of exits the scene at this point, my PTSD got really bad. And I almost got to the point where I needed to be instituted. It really took a lot of my mental health away from me and my self-worth really plummeted at that point. But at that point, my husband had gone to a counselor. Counselor says, I can help you, Dan, with A, B, and C. But if you really want to get a hold on this like sex addiction stuff, you need to go to an organization called Pure Desire. So um, there was a local group at our church and he started attending a Pure Desire group. I started attending a betrayal and beyond group. And that was the beginning of the healing of our marriage. And that's been about 10 years now. 
yeah, actually, yeah, 10 years. And I'm just going to go ahead and just say right now, we are solid. We have a great marriage. (laughs) I'm so glad you kind of told us the end of the story so that listeners know that there is some amazing hope coming because certainly those who are hearing your story have got to be feeling to some degree what you are feeling like this cannot be happening again, you know, or something, another, another trauma. How is this possibly happening again? And that, gosh, could there possibly be any healing? Could there possibly be reconciliation here? You mentioned pure desire, and we'll put that link, everything that's mentioned, ladies, as always, links will be in the episode notes. You have heard of pure desire before if you listen to our 100th episode with Ashley Sears. And so you can go back and check that out if you haven't. But again, this certainly begs the question, how in the world did you get to a solid place and your marriage? How did you recover from all of that? And I know you'll get to share a little bit about that with this life chapter of yours. Yeah, one one miracle at a time. <laughs> That's how it happened. And honestly, it's happening. I think we have to be careful to not, We some, sometimes we get so attached to using the words that end in ED, like we've healed or we've arrived and really replace it with an ING We're healing, we're arriving because anytime we get attached to the outcome, we're disappointed when it doesn't come at the time that we want it to, or in the way that we want it to, or when there's a setback. So really Dan and I are still very much doing the ING and we will, uh, the side of heaven, but I'm married to somebody who I am a life partner with who we are healing together and growing together and doing life together. And it's not always perfect, but it certainly was not where we just left it off either. So essentially, yeah, we joined these pure desire groups and betrayal and beyond groups. And then we did a year of intensive counseling. And in, and during that time, you know, we were also raising teenagers and my sons were getting to the point where the weight of what their father had done and along with some of their just own life experiences and me being an imperfect mother and Dan being an imperfect dad, all, you know, their life culminating <laughs> coming together and, and they started using some of their own coping mechanisms. And I was at a place on my 40th birthday that I didn't want to be married to Dan. I honestly, my son was smoking weed and experimenting with all kinds of drugs. My other son was smoking weed and, and got arrested for it. I was at a place in my life where I have, I felt like an utter failure. And I honestly just did not want to wake up in the morning. Most mornings, I just did not want to wake up because I felt like I had taken this precious thing called life that God had given me and not only screwed it up, but had uh, messed up my kid's life as well. And around this time, my son had had a cocaine overdose and there was something about that experience and going to the ER that just hit me. There's something that really shifts you when things happen to your kids. And in that moment, I realized that I needed God. As much as I was angry at him, I knew that I needed him. And that was a point of surrender for me. And that is when I started listening to the Holy Spirit in my life. We started going to a church called Journey Church in Bend. 
And I bring that up for a specific reason, because the son that was arrested for smoking weed is actually now a pastor there. The son that used to sit under the playground and rock himself in a fetal position crying because his father was gone. Like, I, I just, I was like, oh no, what's going to happen to him? Well, you know what happened to him? He went from bongs to Bibles and here he is now preaching the word of God. And he, um, he's married and he's got son and another baby on the way. And his, the most amazing wife who I consider one of my closest friends. And and gosh, if I had just known then, if I had just known then all the angst that I had been experiencing and that he grew up to be a preacher, <laughs> like, you know, plot twist, you know, that whole thing. But back to my son that had had the cocaine overdose and I was realizing my need for God. And, and I started listening to the Holy Spirit. And at, at this point, we'd gone to Africa and that really changed all of our lives. We went on a mission trip there and that, that significantly changed all of our lives. And my kids were on a healthy trajectory at that point. But now, now I was hitting the empty nest. My mom was sort of coming back into the picture, but but by this time she was using opioids to just kind of deal with her arthritis and then she got addicted. And so she wasn't really a part of my life at that point. I started then having these body image issues. Um, And if you listen back to the first story, you know, my mom was anorexic. And so there were these projected lies that were sort of given to me about body image being important, important enough to starve yourself over and important enough to not be around for your kid. You know, in my mind, that's what it was. But here I was 40, empty nested and starting to put on weight. (laughs) Oh no, that was the worst thing that could happen to me because I had this mentality that I had to keep my husband. But through this healing process, I learned that um, my husband's issues actually have nothing to do with me. And empty nesting didn't mean that I was going to be left empty. As a matter of fact, I have a great relationship with both of my sons. One is 25, the other one's 28. And they are two of the most tenacious, amazing, fun, funny people I know. And I am now walking alongside with God, watching their lives play out in a way that I didn't anticipate. And I highly, highly anticipate what God is going to do in their lives in, in the next years to come. So I never used to really wait on the Lord with anticipation, but I've learned now to come expecting. I know he's coming. I know what he's doing in those boys' lives. And it's really exciting to watch as an entertainment nesting mom. But here I am almost 50. I put on 40 pounds and I am, (laughs) I am more confident and happier than I ever been. But people are like, well, how in the world do you go through all of that? You know, and, and, and then get to this point where you're happy with yourself. Well, I started to learn to trust my gut. So through this healing process, I was able to tackle those projected lies, those survival lies and understand where they come from and, and really replace them with some truth in my life. And then I started specifically in regards then to my worth and my value just as a human being, but also in relationship to my body. And I don't want to be at the weight that I'm at, but I can see how God is allowing this moment in my life of perimenopause to 
get in touch with what my real identity is in him. And so this comes back to, we keep calling it like trusting our gut, (laughs) right? But what it really is, is I spent my entire life relying on others to tell me what I thought and what I felt even about myself, my whole life. I never talked to God about how to feel about myself. I always told them the things I wanted to change about myself. But the thing is, is that if I ever heard my own inner voice, it wasn't familiar because I was always relying on other, other people's voice. It wasn't familiar, so I didn't trust it. So as I started to learn to trust myself, that also meant trusting the Holy Spirit that was in me. And many of us actually, I believe, struggle with this. Some don't, and God bless them, those who do not. That is amazing, but many of us do. And then we ask the opinions of others to gain confidence on what to do next or how we look. Or, I mean, we're constantly asking for approval just externally, but also internally. And I never knew how to hear, let alone trust my own voice or the voice of the Holy Spirit. I was often plagued with a constant internal fear and uncertainty. Experiencing the world for all intents and purposes was a, was a dangerous place where I had to be constantly proving myself or scanning the horizons for things that could threaten my safety and security and relationships. And often that issue was staring right back at me in the mirror. So through this entire process, I am coming to terms and I'm still, this is the ING for me right now. You are literally hearing the ING in my life right now. As I tackle this image of worth in comparison to my body. So the trajectory that this has put me on at this point is I am now a body image coach, specifically for women who've been through betrayal. But because of my own issues that stem from my growing up and my experiences with my husband, and honestly, just living in America, let's be honest, I have now am shifting my whole life toward walking this journey out with other women. Because if we don't have that internal narrative that is of the truth and from the truth, then we're going to continually live with something that a false sense of security. And at some point, maybe not for everyone, but for many of us, at some point, the uh, false sense of security is no longer going to work. And so that is the trajectory that I've been on through all of this is learning to trust the Lord, learning to hear from the Lord, first of all, then trusting him, how to apply his truth in my life. And then walking with other women through this. So I know that betrayal and gaslighting and just trauma in general play such a huge role in how we view ourselves, others in the world. And, and so we need, we need the sisterhood to come together and walk each other through uh, the INGs of our life, you know, the arriving, the helping, the overcoming all of that. So that's what I'm doing with my life now. And I, gosh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for where the Lord has taken me and taking me. (laughs) I, and I would just be honored to continue to do that with whatever years I have left. My mom just recently died and it would, didn't, it didn't end super well. She was anorexic and She was taking opioids and to the point to where her body just couldn't take it. And I realized in the last couple of months, sorry, I'm just, (laughs) 
Mother's Day is coming up. It's my first Mother's Day without her. And despite the fact that things weren't great with her, there's something about losing your mom that is incredibly profound. But this is what I've learned from her passing. How you finish matters. How you're finishing matters. And so that's that's my goal is mm-hmm. to continue finishing well. And that's a beautiful goal. The ING. That could be a book title or a Bible study title or something. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I'll write that down. (laughs) Yeah. You said you're connecting now and and helping other women with their INGs. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you if they'd like to connect. We absolutely could talk for hours and hours more about all the other details in your life story and everything that you've learned and everything you've experienced and just reminding women that they're not alone mm-hmm. and talking through what trauma does and and so much more not to mention just the grief you mentioned of losing your mom and going mm-hmm. through a first mother's day without her that's that could be a whole episode in and of itself so for the ladies who would like to spend more time with you <laughs> hear more from you, ask you some questions, maybe get some support or help. What's the best way for them to find you? The best way to find me would probably be to go to my website, healingwiththehowies.com. There you can fill out a connection form and that will go straight to my email. And then I can connect with uh, anyone who reaches out. So Yeah. Initially that was created for Dan and I just to support other couples. And we still love to support other couples through their journey, but it's really moved more into some of the life coaching that I've been doing as well. So it's amazing what God has done with, as you brilliantly phrased it, the plot twists. Lots of plot twists. Yes. I love it. (laughs) Just read the Bible. There's a lot of plot twists. (laughs) And certainly there were plot twists in your life, but they were never, they weren't wasted. And God was able to use every one of those twists into something pretty amazing. And in fact, this reminds me of an episode um, fairly recently uh, with Barbara. And if you didn't hear that one yet, listeners, she described a, a beautiful metaphor that she had heard from a girl. It was about a tapestry. And that the backside of a tapestry is just a yeah. bunch of knots and tangles and, you know, yarn, string, fabric, whatever, and just really total disarray. Probably not even very pretty at all. You just you just see the backside. But when you flip it over, and then you see what was being created the whole time. And it's stunning and it's detailed and it's beautiful and it's intricate and it's creative and, and all of the things. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Yeah. It really is. And sometimes we don't have the eyes to see it and we need someone to point out uh, Mm -hmm. some of the good stuff. So, right. And you've spent two episodes with us now describing really a lot of the backside of the tapestry, but I'm so glad that now we get to have you flip the tapestry over and show us what God's been doing and the heal, all the INGs. That's your tapestry. It's all the INGs on the other (laughs) side, (laughs) the beautifying, (laughs) we'll put it there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that all of us have a story to tell. We have a, we all have that backside of the tapestry with details that honestly, the Lord only knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we come together in community and, and support each other and help each other grow, 
the, the, our perspective changes and, and in our perspective changing, our life experience changes. So we need, we need each other to point out those things so that our perspective can be healthy and whole and honoring to God. We have to remember though, plot twists, plot twists aren't always bad. I mean, there's the, there's the bad plot twist, but then there's always the second plot twist that God does. And so if, if you are waiting for a plot twist in your life, hold on. <laughs> God is so into that. And just because it looks really bad right now, doesn't mean a plot twist isn't coming. Absolutely. Well, with that, I would like to ask for you to pray for our listeners for whatever they have happening in their life, whether it's all they see is the backside of the tapestry or they're in the middle of a, a plot twist or they were blindsided or dealing with trauma or any of the many, many things that we touched on in these episodes, would you pray for the ladies? Yes, I would be honored to Heavenly Father, God of the plot twist. <laughs> Thank you for your sovereignty. And Lord, for, for, the, for the woman who's listening today, He's like, I don't even know that I believe. I don't even know that I want to believe because I'm not very happy with these circumstances. Lord, would you just come to her in a very private, special, and specific way in this very moment and let her know that you see her. God, may she feel your presence and that you see her. And for the woman who's like, I think you're all woo-woo and I think you're all a little bit crazy. God, would you let her know that you see her and that you have good plans for her? God, so much of our lives, we know that at some point we could look back and go, oh, if we only known what you were doing. God, we want to be women who trust and are trusting you in this process. Show us what it looks like. Show us what it looks like to hear and our own voice and understand our gut and uh, recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. God, yours is the only voice that we really need. So help us to recognize what that voice sounds like and the truth that it's speaking to us. Thank you for your covering over this episode. Thank you for your covering over our lives, Lord. May we continue to learn how to trust you and the good outcomes that you really do have planned for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jen. I have so many things to thank you for. Thank you for sharing so much of your story. Thank you for taking time to record this with us two times now. Thank you for connecting us with Ashley Sears and the stories unveiled. And yeah, she's great. Oh, I amazing. met her through Pure Desire. I just, yes, she's wonderful. Yes. And, and thank you for the Pure Desire link uh, as well in listening to so many of the episodes that you spoke on, I was able to, you know, hear so much more about that ministry. And I know it will be incredibly valuable to so many ladies who are listening. So, so appreciate all of your, all of your connections <laughs> and taking time to go back and really reliving, reliving some trauma to, to tell it. But thank you. Thank you, Jen, so much for being here. It's been wonderful. We love getting to hear the hope in your story and Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you were blessed. We hope you were encouraged. We hope you come back next time for our next episode. G'day, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. 
For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com women.